This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Continuing our uh, verse-by-verse study of the book of Galatians, as we go through this, we've getting, gotten to uh, um, one of the more, I would say, weighty passages of Scripture. It's definitely a section that I refer people back to, uh, probably on a weekly uh, basis or every other week, I'll tell somebody, hey, look up these verses and see how you're doing. Uh, Galatians 5, 22 and 23 are the fruit of the Spirit. And um, we I've heard probably two dozen messages preached on the fruit of the Spirit in my lifetime. Uh, some of them helpful, some of them not so helpful. But I hope this is helpful as we go through this and take a look at what the fruit looks like uh, in our own lives and what the Bible says about each of these fruits of the Spirit. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, um, we're going to take a look. Um, we're going to back up to about verse 16. And then read through verse uh, 23 tonight. Galatians 5, verse number 16. This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. This is critical. You're never going to see the fruit of the Spirit in your life if you're not walking in the Spirit. It doesn't work any other way. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary the one to another, so that you cannot do the things that you would. We took a look at last week how the fruit of the flesh will ruin the fruit of the Spirit. They cannot coexist with each other. But if you be led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Uh, Notice again, works being plural here, but the fruit of the Spirit is singular. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, reveling, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I've told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. I love lists like this in the Bible because they can give me an idea as far as how I'm doing. It's a checklist. How am I doing in the area of love? How is my joy this week? How is my peace with God, with my fellow man, with my circumstances? How's that going this week? And I can always use this as a guide. And so I highly recommend that you take these two verses and commit them to memory because you're gonna need them just about every single day. You wanna know how your marriage is doing? We don't look at things like how do we feel? Do we fight a lot? Uh, How are are things going with this or that? We can look at the fruit of the Holy Spirit and say, is God at work in my marriage? You wanna look at your attitude towards uh, your coworker. You wanna look at your attitude towards your neighbor. Run through this list and see how you score against the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And if God is at work in your life, these things will come out of your life. That's just how it happens. That's how fruit works. We would do a great disservice to this passage if we just kind of blew through these fruits of the Spirit without talking about each of them uh, individually. So we're going to do that over the next several weeks, uh, taking a look at this, these fruits of the Spirit. Again, notice it's a package deal. You can't have love and not have joy, yet have the fruit of the Spirit. It's, it's combined. Again, the works of the flesh are manifest. It's, it's plural. You can have any parts of those. That's how the flesh works. But when the Holy Spirit's at work, this is a package deal and all of these work together. If I don't have self-control or what 
the King James uses as temperance here. I'm not walking in the spirit the way that I should. If I'm not able to have a long-suffering spirit towards another person, yet I'm able to be very joyous and have peace, I don't have the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Again, it's a package deal. They all work together. The first one that is mentioned here, I don't think is a coincidence in the way that Paul lists them or the order in which he chooses to list the fruit of the Spirit. The first of these is love. If you've ever read through 1 John before, you'll know that God is love. And the only love, the only capacity we have to love another person is with the love that we have received from God himself. The Bible says those who do not know the love of God do not know what true love looks like. This is why it's very unwise for a Christian to marry a non-Christian because a non-Christian doesn't understand what love looks like. That's why when we talk about love in a marriage relationship, we talk about love in the, the example that Jesus Christ has set for us. The greatest love that anyone has for another person is the one who lays down his life for a friend, the Bible tells us, and that's exactly what marriage is, laying down your life for the sake of another person. So we can't truly know love until we know the love of God, first and foremost. We can never give love until we have first received Jesus Christ as our Savior. This love that it speaks here, the word that's generally used in the New Testament to speak of God's love or this type of selfless love is the word agape love. It's a selfless, serving love. It's a love that's concerned about the betterment of other people at the expense of my own well-being comes down to putting other people before myself, that type of love. The love in the Bible doesn't speak anything whatsoever of any type of emotion that we might have or any feeling that's attached to this concept of love. See, love's not an inward feeling, but rather an outward, active lifestyle. Love has little to do with our feelings and emotions. It has everything to do with the way that we live our lives. It's not an emotion. It's not connected to how I feel. It's a lifestyle that I choose to live. If you're taking notes tonight, I recommend that you do. Write down, love is a choice. Frustrating part about doing marriage counseling sometimes is when people say, oh, I've fallen out of love or I'm no longer in love with my spouse or something along those lines as if love is something that can come and go from time to time. Love is a choice. Love is a decision that we make to put another person before ourselves. I've heard people say before, well, I, I feel love on the inside. I'm just not very good at expressing it. Uh, that is not biblical love. Biblical love is always expressed. True love begs to be expressed. And so if that's you where you say, I'm, I'm a really loving person on the inside, I just struggle showing it, then I would encourage you to take on God's example of love, which is actually showing it. To say that we feel love but don't express it is to say that we don't truly have a biblical love whatsoever. Love also is an identifying virtue of true disciples of Christ. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, you claim to be a committed follower of Jesus, one of the ways we'll be able to spot you a mile away is your love for other people. Jesus says in John chapter 13, verse number 35, love is in, uh, uh, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Jesus says everybody's gonna know you and know that you're my followers, not by the type of clothes that you wear, not by the places that you live or the type of car that you drive or how big your Bible is that you carry around. People are gonna know you by your love. And we live in a society today that is so selfish and self-centered that if you are a loving person, you automatically stick out from the crowd. 
How many of you have ever been at the grocery before and somebody uh, in front of you goes, oh, you've only got a couple of items. Why don't you go in front of me? You look at them like, are you kidding? Like, you're really going to let me do that? Why? Because that is so foreign to the society we live in today. I don't care if I've got 48 items and 65 coupons for those things. You're going to wait your turn just like I waited mine, right? Because we're so selfish and self-centered. But if we're willing to be loving, we're willing to look out for other people, we're willing to be kind and gracious and show the love of Christ to other people, that automatically sets us apart from the rest of the world. And Jesus says, people will see your love and they're going to know that you're different. And they're going to know that you're my followers. And let me just tell you, Christians who are angry, short, ugly, mean-spirited, first of all, they make Jesus look bad, which is really hard to do because Jesus is so good. Like, how could you possibly make him look bad? But Christians who act that way are making Jesus look bad. But secondly, there's nothing to identify them as a follower of Jesus Christ. Hey, you can have a fish on your your back bumper, but if you're treating people like garbage, nobody knows you're a Christian. And nobody wants the God that you supposedly claim to follow. And again, I'll tell you this, if you're not a loving, caring, compassionate Christian, you have a spirit of antichrist. Oh, the Antichrist, that's really hard. No, no, Antichrist means against Christ, and if you're against love, you are against Christ. And so for us, again, I'm not talking about ooey-gooey, mushy feelings that I uh, feel so deeply about things or I cry every time I hear a song on the radio. That's not love. Love is seeing someone in need and being compelled to help them. Uh, we were on the way to drop off my, my daughter uh, at school the other day, and I was running a little bit behind. wasn't my fault, I promise. Uh, I was running a little bit behind, and there was a guy uh, pulled over on one of the exits by the, the airport in traffic at 7 a.m., changing a flat tire. And you could tell this was not his thing because he was kind of standing. I only saw him for like five seconds. I, I saw him standing back there looking at the thing. He's got like a, a, a tire iron in his hand. He's standing back, and he's looking at everything like this. And I thought to myself as I passed by, I go, oh, I wish I wasn't running late because I'd want to stop and help that guy. That's the type of spirit that, hey, even if I couldn't help, I would want to do something to help. Uh, It's the type of spirit that when you see someone in need, you want to do something. Why? Because it's not about me. It's about being able to help, love, and serve other people. And again, we live in a society today, very self-centered, and this will set us apart from other folks. Love is also further proof of our salvation. Do you know for sure that you're a Christian? Has there been a time in your life where you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior? The Bible says you can't go to heaven without that. The only way to go to heaven is by putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. All of us have sinned against a holy God, and because of our sin in our life, whether it be big or whether it be uh, small, our sin, the Bible says, has given us the consequence of eternal death. We're going to go to hell when we die because we've sinned. That's what the Bible says. But God loves you so much and he loved me so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for our sins. And God showed his love by sending Jesus to die in our place so that when we die, we don't have to spend eternity separated from God because Jesus has already paid the price. And all you have to do is believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and believe that he paid for your sins and ask for forgiveness. Faith and repentance is all God needs from you. And the Bible says you can be his child, you can be saved. But that 
ticket to heaven, I guess, if you will. That's just the beginning of what God wants to do in your life. He wants to change you from the inside out. And he wants to make you into the person that you always should have been. And to do that, he gives you his Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. And the Holy Spirit, when he begins to work in your life and you begin to allow him to work into your life, things begin to change. And out of your life, as a result of the working of the Holy Spirit inside of you, out of you comes love, joy, peace. All nine of these things come out when the Holy Spirit's at work in my life. That's what God wants to do for you. And if you don't have love, the Bible goes so far as to question whether or not you're even saved. 1 John chapter 3, verse number 14 uh, says this, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. John even says this when he writes 1 John. If you've ever, never read through 1 John, you could probably read it in about 10 or 15 minutes. It's a heavy read. Because John calls your question to salvation if you live rebelliously in sin, if you are a liar and you say you have no sin, or in this case here, if you hate people and cannot show them love, he calls your salvation into question, which is a, probably the most serious accusation one could ever make against another Christian. He says, we know that we've passed from death unto life. We know that we were once on our way to hell, but now we're on our way to heaven. We know that we were once the enemy of God, but now we know that we're the child of God because of our love for other people. And let me just tell you, when you're able to love people that are unlovable, that's how you'll know that you're saved. When God gives you the power to love people and serve people when they can do nothing for you, that's how you can know that you're saved is what John says in 1 John here. But love is not just a good idea. It's just not something we can do to show our salvation or show that we're true believers. Love is a commandment for believers. And if you're commanded to love, the only option to a commandment, if you're not gonna do it, is disobedience. And friend, if you're a Christian, you say, well, I'm just not all that loving. Let me help you with this. That's a sin. It's a sin to be unloving. Ephesians chapter five, verse number one, be therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ hath also loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Hey, if you really are a Christian, if you call yourself a follower of Christ, then you need to love the way that Jesus loved. And you need to follow his example by the way that he gave his life for us. You may say, well, the person that I work with, they don't deserve to be loved. You and I didn't deserve to be loved by God either. Well, they're very unlovable. You and I are very unlovable. Well, they've done some things that are pretty rotten. You and I have done things that are pretty rotten. And so we're to love as Jesus has loved us. Now, that's a tall order. And let me just tell you this. You can't do it by yourself. You need help. That's why God's given you the Holy Spirit inside of you. And the Holy Spirit can love people that you and I cannot love on ourselves. The love of Jesus working through us. Again, we're just a conduit for the Holy Spirit to work through. And by allowing God's love to work in me and through me, I can love people that are unlovable. I can love people who cannot give anything back to me. I can love people that even would wish me harm. 
It's a commandment for believers. You say, well, I'm just not that loving of a person. I look at this list and I go, oh, you know, I can handle joy. I can handle peace, but love just not my thing. This is not a list. I want you to get this. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is not a list where you can pick and choose the ones you like. I don't get to look at this list and go, I'm good in this area, not so great in that area, so I guess I'll just play to my strengths. No, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. Again, package deal here. I have to be loving. And you might say, I'm not a loving person. I can identify with that because that was me. I, I struggle with loving other people probably, I don't know, 18 years or so ago. I would go to church and I wanted to sit in my corner. I didn't want anybody to bother me. I didn't want anybody to talk to me. I didn't want to be involved in anybody's business. I didn't want to hear anybody's problems. I didn't ask people how they were doing because I really just didn't want to know. And it's a terrible way to live your life. And I didn't love people. And I prayed and asked God to change my heart. God, would you give me a love for people? Because I don't. And, and praise God, he did. I love people now. I really do. But it was hard because the person that I loved the most was me. The person I was most concerned about their comfort was me. The person I wanted to make sure that they were okay all the time was me. My selfishness got in the way of my love for other people. Love's not only the expectation of believer, it's also the summary of the entire Bible. <laughs> Did you know that the Bible from cover to cover is the story of love? If you extracted love out of the Bible, the Bible would be a very, first of all, dull book. Secondly, it would be a very hopeless book. Uh, thirdly, it would, wouldn't contain anything about our God because our God is love. From the moment that God created in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God already had a plan in motion that would bring about you and I. God had a plan already in place that would bring about Jesus Christ and the redemption of mankind. God had a plan in place that would unfold throughout all of human history from eternity past to eternity future to show his goodness, his mercy, his grace, and his love. The Bible's the story of love. One man tried to trip Jesus up a little bit. He asked Jesus, Jesus, what's the most important commandment in all of the Bible? trick, right? It'd be like asking a, a police officer, excuse me, officer, could you tell me what the most important law that one has to obey would be? <laughs> well, like all of them are important, right? Well, can you say that, really say that one law is more important than another? I guess you could. I mean, uh, having a parking ticket is different than, you know, uh, I don't know, killing somebody or robbing a store or something like that. But what would be the most important law that you could, could follow from a uh, municipal standpoint, I guess you could say. I don't know, it's hard to say. And so I imagine this guy thought he'd gotten Jesus. Ah, hey, what's the most important law? What's the most important commandment, Jesus? And Jesus said this. The first and greatest commandment is this, love God with every fiber of your being. That's the Anthony King paraphrase. Second thing is like it, love your neighbor the same way that you love yourself. And here's what Jesus said. Phenomenal statement. Man, I love Jesus. On those two commandments hang all the laws and the prophets. He said this, the whole Bible can be summed up in two commandments. Love God, love other people. That's it. Well, 
Now, where's my happiness in all that? You know, how does that factor into this? What if I'm not a loving person? What if, and we can begin to make all the excuses in the world that we want to, but if you love God and you love other people the way that you love yourself, Jesus says everything else will take care of itself. You know, a funny thing, I don't have to worry about gossip if I love the person that I'm thinking about gossiping against the same way that I love myself. I don't have to worry about it because I'm not gonna do that. I don't have to be angry and hateful towards someone if I love them the way that I love myself. I don't have to spout off at the mouth with someone about the anger that I feel in my heart if I love them the same way that I love myself. I won't do those things. And Jesus says, if you love God and love other people the way you love yourself, everything else will sort itself out. It's fascinating to think that what the Bible says, love covers a multitude of sin. Love itself, again, not to to quote some crazy songwriter, but love truly is the answer. But it's not the ooey-gooey emotional type of love where we're all gonna hold hands and sing a song together. That's not the type of love it's talking about. The love is I see that you have a need and I'm gonna meet that need. I see you got something going on in your life and I wanna alleviate your burden. I see something that's going on with you and I want to do everything that I can to resolve it or to lighten your load for you because I love you. It's, it's, it's strange sometimes for Christians to say to another Christian, hey man, I love you and I'm praying for you this week. <laughs> Especially amongst guys. Guys don't talk like that. But let me help you with something, guys. We should. Love's the story of the Bible. And when I say, hey brother, I love you and I'm praying for you this week, it doesn't mean that I'm romantically attracted to you or there's anything weird or awkward about it, right? There's no bromance going on or anything like that. It means I deeply care about you and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to help you to move forward in your walk with Christ because I care about you. And the Bible says that's the heart of Christ. (laughs) Without love, all that we hope to accomplish is completely worthless. You can do the greatest things in the world, but if you don't have love, the Bible says they are completely and totally futile. Hey, you can preach the best sermon the world's ever heard, but if you do it without love, the Bible says you're just making a lot of noise. Hey, you can go to Africa and dig wells for kids and so they no longer have to go and hike water and stuff like that, but if you do it without love, the Bible says you're just wasting your time. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if you've never read that, it's known as the love chapter. Paul starts off by saying, though I speak with the tongues of angels, but have not charity or love, I'm just making a bunch of racket. Now, Paul is using hyperbole, and I wanna stop for just a second and explain something in 1 Corinthians 13. Paul's using hyperbole. He said, if there was an angelic language, and if I spoke in that language, but I don't have love, I'm just making a lot of noise. He wasn't saying that there is a language that the angels speak and you and I can speak that language. Uh, Sometimes people that uh, come from a Pentecostal background would say, well, Paul's talking about speaking in tongues there. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's using hyperbole because in the next verse he says, though I give my body to be burned and have not charity. He wasn't burning his body every week either. He was using hyperbole to make uh, make a statement, to make an example. He said, though I give my body to be burned but have not love, I'm wasting my time. 
So you can do good things with the wrong motive and it doesn't amount to a hill of beans in God's eyes. He wants to know your love for other people. And again, love is not feelings, it's not emotion, it's a choice, it's an action, it's an active lifestyle that you and I live, love for other people. This place, who we call a Baptist church, should be the most loving place on the entire island. People should know from the second that they walk in the front door, you are welcome here, you, are, you belong here, and you are loved here. And people might not uh, agree with what we talk about from the Bible. They might not agree with uh, the type of music that we have. They might not agree with uh, this, that, and the other, but they will never be able to walk away here from saying that they were not loved and they did not hear what the Bible said. That is our gift to every person that walks in the front door. You will be loved here and we will tell you what the Bible says. You might not like either one of those, but this is what we are. This is who we are. And this is the heart of Christ. Now, sometimes people think the opposite of love would be hate. But if we talk about love and hate, hate is a very strong, angry emotion. And love itself is not an emotion. It's a choice. So the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is selfishness. Think about that for a minute. Let that one sink in. You ask anybody in the world, hey, what's the opposite of love? You say, hate. Because we think in emotional terms. We think of feelings that we have inside of us. But that's not what love is. Love is a choice that I make to put you in front of myself. That if I have an option to advance myself or advance you, I choose you. If I have the option to do good to myself or do good to you, I choose you. And that's a little bit easier for people that we care about. I want to give my kids every opportunity to succeed, so I'm willing to sacrifice for my kids. I'm willing to sacrifice for my wife. She is my better half, no doubt about it. I'm willing to sacrifice to allow her to get ahead, but am I willing to sacrifice for the person that I don't know? Not so often. Am I willing to put someone else in front of me who maybe has done me wrong? Not so much. Am I willing to love and look out for the person who is a complete and total stranger to me? That doesn't come easily, but here's what Jesus says. This is crazy. He says, if you love people that love you, what good is that? He said, the unsaved people do that, but I'm asking you to love your enemy. I'm asking you to pray for those who despitefully use you. That's where the Holy Spirit begins to do his work. Hey, if you've ever met my wife, she's an easy person to love. Man, so easy, so easy. Me and my kids, they're not as easy to love, but they're easy to love. I kid. Um, my kids are easy to love. Hang around them for a bit. Babysit them over the weekend if you want. I'd love that. That'd be great. Find out how lovable, especially a two-year-old can be, right? Easy to love. The person who gossips about me, talks trash about me, says lies about me, not so easy to love. You know what Jesus says? Love them anyways. Okay, noted. There's times where I don't want to do that. There's times where it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel right. I want people to get what's coming to them. That's not love. And again, if I only love the people that love me, anybody can do that. God's asking us to do something that is outside of ourselves, and we need the Holy Spirit to work for that. We could talk all day on love because the Bible, again, is a story of love. There's dozens and dozens of passages that show the example of God's love in our lives. But the second fruit of the Spirit that we see here tonight is joy. 
The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. Oftentimes people confuse joy and happiness. They think that happiness is the same thing as joy. It really isn't. I came across an outstanding definition of joy that uh, I read several years ago and it summed up exactly what I believe the Bible speaks of when it speaks of joy. Joy signifies a feeling of happiness that is based on spiritual realities. I love that because many times our happiness is based on our physical realities. How's my health? How's my finances? How's my quality of life? How's my standard of living? And if you know anything about life and you've lived long enough, you know those things change on a dime. You know that you can be having the best day in the world and one phone call can wreck the rest of your week, wreck the rest of your life. Happiness does not last. Happiness is a feeling that you get when you buy something new. Happiness is the feeling that you have when you got something that you've always wanted and it represents everything that you thought it would be. We were coming back from uh, um, the mall today, driving past the mall on our way to Safeway. And there was a guy, it was, it's one of the most beautiful cars I've ever seen in my life. It was a 2019 Corvette, red as red can be, black accents, chrome wheels, wasn't a lick of dust on this thing anywhere. Like I really believe the guy gets out at every red light and wipes it down because it was that shiny. And I looked at it and go, oh, that's gorgeous. And I just stopped and looked. And the guy had custom plates on the back that said something really cool. I don't even know what it said, but I'm sure it was cool. And we pulled up beside it. And I go, oh, man, look at that. And my wife looked over at the guy, and she goes, he knows it too. And so he was obviously a little bit smug about what he was driving. And I'm sitting there going, oh, man, that's gorgeous. And then Vanderlei pipes up from the back seat. And he goes, yeah, bummer for him. Have you seen the 2020 Corvette? And I go, oh, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you've seen that online. It looks like better than a Ferrari. It's like a mid-engine, first ever mid-engine Corvette that they made. And I thought to myself, snaps, it stinks to be that guy, right? <laughs> I mean, here's a dude rolling. It, it had to be a 75, 80,000. It wasn't the base model Corvette. This was an upper tier level. And I thought to myself, here's a guy with a $75,000 car that just got outmodeled by next year's model which is a totally different body style, totally different setup, and, and a more gorgeous car. And I thought to myself, when you chase the things of this world, you're going to be forever chasing it. It's like a dog chasing its tail. If you catch it, ever seen a dog catch its tail before? It's like, oh, what am I supposed to do with this now, right? That's what we, we find when we chase the things of this world. We finally, we finally get it. What do I do with it now? Because happiness doesn't last. But joy is not based on our physical circumstances. Joy is based on spiritual realities. I am a child of God. I am forgiven. I'm living for a purpose that's greater than myself. I will not cease to exist when this world is over. I get to live for eternity. And this life is just preparation for eternity. That brings joy. I am a dirty, rotten, filthy, disgusting sinner who fails God time and time and time again, but he loves me, he forgives me, and he has been gracious to me, and that brings me joy because it's based on spiritual realities. 
actually joy is a deep down sense of well-being knowing that I am a child of God deep down that when I get a phone call that a family member is sick and might not make it I can still say God is faithful and I'm going to trust him through it when things happen that don't line up with the plan that I had for my life I can say God is still good and his plans are better than my plans and I can still have joy talked about this morning how I've known people who are staring death in the face they still had joy and a sense of humor why because they knew that whatever happens in this life is only temporary and whatever happens on the other side is for eternity and they live with an eternal mindset joy is not dependent upon my circumstances but it's dependent upon the work of the Holy Spirit you can be dead broke and have joy and you can be a multi-millionaire and be miserable you can have to walk everywhere you go and have joy or you can have the 2020 Corvette and still be miserable because joy is not based on your circumstances. Joy is based on the work of the Holy Spirit inside of you. That's why the Bible says walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If I'm walking in the Spirit, I'm feeding my spirit, I'm staying far away from sin, I will have joy. But you know one of the things that sucks your joy, one of the things that ruins your joy, sin? You know why? Because the Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh can't coexist. They're at odds with one another. So when a Christian lives in sin, willingly disobeying God, yet at the same time tries to have joy, you're never going to have it. That's why it grieves me to see Christians chasing after materialism, chasing after relationships, chasing after education or a better job or a different promotion or moving to a different area of town or moving into a new condo because they think, when I find this, I'm going to get what I'm really looking for. No, you're chasing something that doesn't exist in the realm that you're chasing it in. You'll never find fulfillment in this life, in this world. The system is rigged against you. And I'm not talking about weird conspiracy theories in the government and the Illuminati and stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you chase the world's system, it's set up for you to fail and it's set up to steal your joy. That's why you say, I just can't play this game. I'm not going to try to continually one-up everything. I'm not going to chase after what this world says is important. I'm going to chase after Jesus because that's where joy is found. Joy is not found in a dating relationship or a marriage relationship or whether you have kids or whether you don't have kids. I've known people before who felt like their their life is so incomplete because they didn't have children and they uh, went through all this different expense and process and things like that. They adopted and then they found out they still had problems in their marriage. They found out that it still was something that was lacking in their life because they thought that a child would bring completeness and closure to their life when they should have been chasing after Jesus instead. See, people do this with relationships all the time. I've counseled so many single adults who say things like, well, if I could just get married, I feel like all my problems would go away. Have you ever talked to a married couple before? (laughs) Married couples will tell you. It doesn't make your problems go away. It multiplies your problems, right? Now we don't have two people with sets of problems. Now we have twice as many problems to deal with. Hey, whatever you're thinking that will bring you lasting fulfillment, if it's other than Jesus, you're setting yourself up for failure and disappointment. Because joy is not based on your circumstances. It's based on the work of the Holy Spirit. The joyful spirit produces rejoicing. I know this sounds really simple, but the root word for rejoice is the word joy. 
the Greek word that Paul uses here is, is a similar to the word that is used for joy. It's the, the same type of word, same root word that's used here. A joy-filled Christian will find something to praise about. A joy-filled Christian will find something to thank God about. A joy-filled Christian will continually talk about the goodness of God. A joy-filled Christian will look forward to gathering together with God's people and praising God together. I, I worry about Christians who come to church and the whole time during the song service, they just stand there like this. Friend, are you hearing the words that we're singing? Are you listening to this? Is your heart not stirred by the fact that my debt is paid? It is paid in full by the precious blood that my Savior spilled? Now the curse of sin no longer has a hold on me because whom the Son sets free, he is free. Does that not do something to your soul? How can you stand there, friend, and call yourself a Christian with arms folded? I get it, everybody has a bad day. I get it, you have, you have crummy circumstances that you just don't feel like singing. I've been there, I've done that, but I'm talking about week after week after week, you just stand there like a bump on a pickle and can't praise God. Something's not right on the inside. Check your heart. And here's the thing, we need to sing. It's what sets us apart as distinctive Christians when we gather to worship God and sing together. I don't know of another world religion that gathers together and sings to their deity that they have. Just don't. I know people to get together and say chants and close their eyes and sit uh, on the floor and stuff like that, but I, I don't know of anyone who willingly, gladly shouts, shouts of praise about the greatness of their deity. That's what sets us as Christians apart. And you might say, again, I've been there before. I've been with a critical spirit before. And say, well, I just don't like the music at this church. It's not about the music at this church. It's about the greatness of our God. And I can be with anybody anywhere praising God. I went to Malaysia uh, earlier this year. And I was in a room full of Christians and they had the words on the screen. It was all uh, in a different language. I didn't have a clue as to what I was singing. But these people had a big, huge grin on their face and they were shouting. They were excited. And man, I just read whatever words I, I read along with. I got my Google Translate over there, typing in this phrase that I keep repeating a hundred times. I hope it's Christian, right? <laughs> I looked it up, it was Christian, it was good. Uh, but, uh, but it was just something special about hearing people praise God. I had the opportunity to go to an orphanage over there and these kids were singing about the greatness of our God. And man, you have these kids whose parents didn't want them. Kids who had been left for dead kids whose parents were drug addicts, kids whose uh, parents actually sold them for money. And they're talking about the greatness of our God. And I just sat there and man, I did just everything I could do to keep my composure because these kids knew about the greatness of God and their praise, oh man, the joy that these kids had, oh man, it was contagious. A joyful spirit will produce rejoicing we have praise time here at our church from time to time. We have a, a praise service coming up the week of Thanksgiving. I hope you'll be here. It's on a Tuesday night. Uh, but the idea is we get together and just talk about how good God is. The Bible commands us to do that. And friend, if you're ever in a place where you say, look, I don't feel like I have anything to praise for. You need to check your heart. You need to check your life. <laughs> Job said this, why does a living man complain? If you're alive, what do you have to complain about? 
oh, my circumstances aren't this or that. Hey, if you call yourself a child of God, you got every reason under the sun to rejoice. Joy is the inevitable overflow of receiving Jesus Christ as Savior and of the believers knowing of his continuing presence. I know that's a really long statement, especially for those that are taking notes. Joy comes inevitably from the person who knows that they are saved. I realize I was staring hell in the face. I understand that I was once destined, condemned for the wrong that I had done. I realized that I was on the hook with a death sentence for everything that I had done wrong, but Jesus loved me. He died in my place. God forgave me, and now I stand before God forgiven. Praise God. Thank the Lord. Praise Jesus. It's a natural overflow that comes. In a Christian who struggles with a melancholy spirit, well, again, that's just not me. I'm just not all bubbly and excited. I'm not talking about your personality type. I'm talking about a deep-rooted sense of happiness that's based on spiritual realities. And because Jesus has promised to never leave me or forsake me, if you want to be encouraged, read John 14, 15, and 16, where Jesus says, it's a good thing that I'm leaving because I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit's come, he's going to teach you everything that I have to say. He's going to reprove you of your sin. He's going to lead you into righteousness. Paul tells us in the book of Romans that the Holy Spirit's going to pray on our behalf when we don't even know what to say. And you're going to have a gift that's the Holy Spirit. And he's never going to leave you. He will always be with you. And that's a reason to have joy. In a few weeks on our Sunday morning series, we're going to talk, take a look at depression. I've known Christians before who said, maybe I'm not saved. I just don't have joy. Maybe I'm struggling with depression. Maybe I'm not saved. Uh, depression is not an indication that you're not saved. And it's okay to be depressed. It's not okay to stay there. We're going to talk about that on a Sunday morning. It's heavy. We need to talk about it. Because many times Christians feel like, I'm depressed, I'm a terrible Christian. I'm, I'm depressed, I'm going through this, I just don't have joy, maybe I'm not saved. If the fruit of the Holy Spirit inside of me is working the way that it should, maybe I wouldn't be feeling these, these feelings that I have. But if you read through the Bible, many men of God were deeply depressed. I read through the Psalms, you got a guy who struggled with difficult feelings, being down, not trusting the promises of God, feeling like God had left him and forsaken him. We're gonna take a look at that, but know this. Again, you can't live there because out of your life needs to come joy. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's God at work in your life. Joy is produced by being connected to Jesus. <laughs> Turn your Bible back to John chapter 15. We're gonna take a look at one passage of scripture and we'll be done here tonight. John chapter 15 is, uh, man, it's a masterpiece on fruit bearing. I, I love the Bible. I was reading uh, this past week about um, what scholars had to say about the Bible and even folks who are atheists and, and deny the God of the Bible. All scholars agree that the Bible is a literary masterpiece. Phenomenally written, the story that it tells from beginning to end, written by so many different authors on such a long period of time, 
it fits together perfectly. And we wouldn't say it's a literary masterpiece. We would say it's a supernatural word of God. Only God could write something like this. But we take a look at bearing fruit in our life, the fruit of the Holy Spirit even. Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse number one, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. I wanna pause there for just a second and say that in Jesus says in, in verse number one there, I am the true vine. If Jesus claims to be the true vine, that must mean that there are some fake vines out there too. There's some counterfeit vines. There's some things that you think you can get plugged into and bear fruit, but they are actually not real. Jesus says, I'm the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Every branch that in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that he that beareth fruit, he purgeth that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Verse four, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. Jesus connects bearing fruit in our life directly to being connected to him. And he says, you're just a branch off of a vine. And if you cut a branch off and you lay it down on the ground, what happens to it? It dies and it's never gonna bear fruit. And the only hope that that branch had of bearing fruit was staying connected to the vine. He says the same thing, stay connected to me and you'll bear fruit. He says, verse number six, if a man abide not in me, he's cast forth as a branch and is withered. Men gather them and cast them into the fire and they're burned. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. You shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. As the father hath loved me, so have I loved you, continue you in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Talking a lot about love there and love being connected to following his commandments and being connected to Jesus, the true vine. Verse number 11, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you, that your joy might be full. Hmm. Beautiful picture. Jesus says, I'm not asking you to work up your own joy because you can't do that. Your own joy can't be whipped up on your own. You'll try to do that. You'll try to buy something new. You'll try to go somewhere or take a vacation or uh, watch a sunset or something like that. It's gonna whip up something in you for a minute, but that goes away. Here's what he says. I'm gonna take my joy and put it in you so that your joy will always be full. Think of it this way. Jesus is pouring into our glass of joy from a pitcher that never runs out. And he says, stay connected to me and I'm gonna keep your joy filled up and my joy that I'm pouring out is going to be in you so that you'll never be without. The problem comes when we take our own glass away, we dump out the contents and we hold it over here to the side, disconnect it from Jesus and go, I wonder why I have no joy. You know, you gotta put it back under the spout. You gotta put it back under the source of joy. And he says, I'm taking my joy and putting it in you so that your joy will be full. Joy is connected to being connected to Jesus. You can't have one without the other. Friend, you're disconnected from Jesus, you're gonna be disconnected from joy. Again, the most miserable Christian that I've seen is the one who's living in rebellion to God, away from Jesus and away from his church. Miserable guaranteed because you'll never have that joy because it requires you to walk in the spirit it requires you to be connected to the source of the joy which is Jesus the opposite of joy is dread 
Joy is hopeful. Joy believes that God's able. Joy believes that God is in control. Dread believes that I'm never gonna get out of my situation. I'm never gonna be better. Dread has a complaining spirit. He wants to find fault in everything. Joy just wants to find something to praise God for. I would encourage you the next time you're struggling with finding your joy, grab a sheet of paper and write out 50 things that you're thankful for. Look at you. Can we start at like five? Like 50 is a lot. No, 50. Go for 50. What you'll find is by the time you get to about 10, you're going to get stuck. And you'll have to think for a little bit. But usually by the time you get to like 20 or 22, you're just like cruising and you, you go on through. And when you get your 50 filled up, you know what you need to do? You need to take that and stick it in the back of your Bible somewhere, stick it somewhere where you're going to find it on a regular basis, put it on your fridge. And when you get frustrated, you get down, and you get discouraged, look at your reasons for joy. Because there's joy in Jesus. That's where the good stuff is found. But it requires that I'm connected to the source. And joy will always bring rejoicing, always. The person with a complaining, critical spirit, they don't have joy. They don't know joy. They don't know love. But when I'm connected to Jesus, when I'm walking in the spirit, I'm not walking in the flesh. I hate my sin. I want to stay as far from it as I can. I want to be as connected to Jesus as I can. I want to allow the Holy Spirit to work in me and through me. I'm putting my flesh to death. I'm feeding my spirit, listening to good worship music. I'm surrounding myself by good Christian friends. The entertainment that I'm watching, the movies that I'm watching, the things I'm allowing in my eyeballs and my ears is helpful. It strengthens my faith. I'm connected to Jesus' church. I'm serving other people. I'm loving other people. The Bible says inside of me, you know, it's going to start coming out as the Holy Spirit does his work. Love and joy. You can't work these things out by yourself. Again, the love that this world offers, it's set up for failure. It's based on emotion. It's based on feeling. The love that God has is based upon his goodness and his grace and his ability to love others through us with a power that's greater than ourselves. Chasing after happiness, you're setting yourself up for failure. You'll never find it. And when you think you found it, you're, it's gonna be like trying to, to grab at fog or something. You're just gonna miss it. But when you get a hold of joy and you really latch onto it tight, you realize, Whatever this world sends my way, I know that I'm good because I got Jesus. Whatever happens to me tomorrow, a week from now, good, I got Jesus. Because joy is greater than happiness. Pursue joy. Again, none of these can be pursued without pursuing Jesus. So I'd encourage you, if you're here tonight and you don't know for sure that you're saved, you're not 100% sure that heaven's your home, let me challenge you, don't leave here tonight without knowing for sure that heaven is the place that you're going when you die. You need to know for sure that Jesus Christ has died for your sins and you've accepted his forgiveness of sins and that heaven is your home. And when you do that, the Holy Spirit's inside of you now. And oh man, the change God wants to make in your life, the thing he wants to bring out of your life, you can't stop it. And that's where the good stuff's found. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.